you know, last week, you know, we, we, Dave was here and he, and he talked about his journey uh, in uh, Spain and, you know, it was really exciting. You know, today we're going to talk about a person who was on a journey as well. And it was an amazing journey, you know, and, and you know, the last month or so, two months, we've been looking at people in the Bible. We're looking at the stories in the Bible. You know, we looked at Abraham, we looked at Jacob, we looked at Isaac, and, and today we're going to look at Jacob's son, Joseph. And when we think, when I think of Joseph, when I think of Joseph and his story, what comes to my mind is God's sovereignty. Yeah? God's sovereignty, you know, it's one of those big words. But what it means is that nothing, absolutely nothing happens in the universe that is outside of God's control. You know, or simply is just God is in control and he will make a way. That's what God's sovereignty is. Everything that goes on is under his sovereignty. He doesn't do everything. He doesn't purpose to do evil and all these kind of things, but everything is happening under his control. You know, God's in control of everything. And when we look, as we look in the next few weeks at the story of Joseph, we're going to see real clearly how God kind of makes a way and he works things out. So much so, at the end of his life in Genesis 50 verse 20, this is what he says. He says, Joseph says, you intended to harm me to his brothers and stuff, but God intended it all for good. And it's going to make a whole lot more sense when we look at his story and look at all the things that happened, and we're going to be amazed that Joseph can say, but God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. And Joseph's story is an amazing story about how God really does make a way. And he makes a way in a life of someone who learns, who God teaches and who learns how to trust him. And we're going to start in Genesis 37. You can find that in your Bibles. You know, bring your Bibles. You can follow along. Words will be up there. There's notes in your bulletin as well. But we're going to start in Genesis 37. And Joseph is a young guy. He's about 17 years. He's 17 years old. And, and young Joseph is the apple of his father's eyes. Okay? He's, he's like the guy. He's the golden boy. Uh, he is the guy, right? And everybody knew it. And it didn't go over very well with his brothers, right? Because as you can imagine, they had a whole mess of brothers, but Joseph was the favorite child. You know, that's the golden boy, right? And, and it caused a lot of hostility in his family. Now, I'm not going to say that Joseph was a really obnoxious, arrogant, spoiled brat. Some people say he was. I don't know. But all I do know is this, is that as a young man, Joseph wasn't mature yet, and he wasn't very discerning in the things that he said. Right? He could have said things in a lot better way, and he could have just been a little bit more careful what to even share. And, and it caused a lot of tension. And if you can imagine... If you're already, there's all this sibling ten tension going on, you know, that um, you don't want to say things to make 
matters worse, right? But, but Joseph did, and he said stuff, and it got him into trouble. And even in the midst of that, we see how God really does work all thing, things together for our good. And if we choose to follow him, there's going to be some tough times that we're going to have to go through. Because life is about going through tough times. But through those tough times, God can use those things, those situations and the circumstances to mature us, to grow us, and to transform us. And that's what he did in Joseph's life. All right? And so I want to encourage you to let the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, speak to you and encourage you from Joseph's story that, hey, you know what? No matter how bad a situation is or you look at your life and what's going on, that you can, you can take some encouragement that he's making a way, that he's working things out for your good. I just wanted to share a few things as we kind of get started with the story of Joseph. And the first thing is that if, if we really do want to see God really change and transform our lives and work things together, we got to recognize <clears throat> that it is God who is omniscient, that it is God who is all-knowing, and that our own understanding is not complete, that our own understanding is limited, right? And that's really important, that we got to recognize the truth that it is God who is all-knowing, it is God who is omniscient, and we aren't. And our knowledge and what we know really is not complete. It's really limited. And in Genesis 37, verse 2, starts off with this. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, right? There's a whole bunch of guys. Um, the son of his father's wife, Bilhah, and Zilpha. And Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things that his brothers were doing. And Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, his beautiful robe. You know, some versions would say his robe is coat of many colors. You know, this really bright, tantaran kind of coat. Right? To show that, you know, I'm the man, I am the golden boy here, right? And his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't even say a kind word to him. Not the best of family situations. And that word reported, see, J Jacob, I mean, Joseph would report to his father what these less privileged brothers were doing, right? He was kind of squealing on them. <clears throat> and that word report is not just objectively giving a report. That word report has the meaning of rumor or slander. You, know, you see that in Psalm 31 or mocking or kind of malicious talk. So he wasn't being real nice. And, and what Joseph said of those brothers could have been absolutely true. But at the very least, at the very least, he could have said it in a better way. 
<clears throat> right? And he didn't have to alienate his brothers. He knew that his brothers didn't like him. Yeah, he's wearing this nice coat around, you know, it's like, hey, Justin, you don't got a coat like this, yeah, yeah, right? And Justin goes, yeah, I don't, yeah. You know why I got this, you know, right? And, <clears throat> and it was a mess, all right? And, and what happened was he, all he did was just made his brothers more and more angry. So one night, and then he goes on, one night in verse 5, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him more than ever. Okay? Why did they hate him? Because he says, hey guys, listen to this dream. We were all out in the fields, tying up bundles of grain, and suddenly my bundle stood up, and all your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. Wow. Right? His brothers responded, oh, that's really nice, Joseph. You're the good... No, what did they... All the brothers responded, so you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams. And then, verse 9, Joseph hasn't learned things yet. He has another dream, verse 9. And again he tells his brothers, Idiot, listen, I had another dream. Are you listening, Justin? I got another dream, brother, right? And Justin going, yeah, all right, all right, what's a dream, right? And he says, the sun, the moon, 11 stars bowed low before me. This time, he told his dream to his dad as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him and says, What kind of dream is that? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come down and bow to the ground before you? But while, but while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father was saying, Hmm, I wonder if there's something to it. You see, the dreams was from the Lord, but, but man, I mean, it's like, Joseph, you got to kind of cool your jets about some of the things you said. And he had these amazing dreams. And even though he knew his brothers were jealous and all that, he shares this with them, right? And, and, and the Bible says that his brothers hated him. And that Hebrew word for hate appears more time in this chapter and in their relationship than anywhere else in the Old Testament. Okay. That's how it was like, we hated these guys, this guy, you know. And even though Joseph was acting like, a, you know, horses behind, can I say that? I just did. Anyway, but they did. <laughs> His brothers weren't innocent either, right? They hated him. And Joseph had much to learn. He didn't really understand the scope of God's call and destiny for his life. You see, God didn't give Joseph the, these dreams to tick off his brothers. See, they were an affirmation of the destiny and the call that God had for him. But it wasn't just for him. 
It wasn't just for him. It was also for the salvation of the Jews and the Egyptians and really for the rest of all mankind that God was going to use Joseph as this world changer. See? And the dreams were all a part of that. But, but the way he communicated and retold his dreams elevated himself over his brothers and and he didn't really seek the Lord and say, God, is this really from you? And really turn and press in on the Lord. You know, he didn't think like, well, what about my brothers? He didn't consider his brothers. He didn't think about family harmony. And the way he communicated, all it did was cause his brothers to hate him even more. And God had this wonderful call for Joseph. Wonderful call. But he needed to learn that God is all-knowing and that he was not. He needed to learn to humble himself before all-knowing God and pray for wisdom and pray for understanding. He needed to mature, and that's what God was going to do. You see, you may be the most talented, gifted person around. You may have this strong sense of God's call for you. But you don't know everything. See, be careful when you begin to say, I believe God has said this to me, and this is what I'm supposed to do. And people say something, and you go, I don't know, no, no. I only listen to God. You see, I only listen to God. I don't need to hear what you say. I take my orders from God himself. And, 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 and I would say, be really careful. Be really careful that understand that we see in part, and 1 Corinthians talks about that, we, we speak in part, we don't know the whole picture, you know? We don't know the whole picture. God might be sharing something really significant to us. What do we do with that? We humble ourselves. And then we ask people who we love and we know love God and we say, hey, this is what I sense God is saying. Can you help me affirm this? You see, so many times we get into trouble because we think we are all-knowing. You know, we do something and, and I'm doing this message and people go, Mark, I don't know about that message. What? God gave me this message. Well, who are you to tell me? No, you see. God will use people in our lives. And if we want to experience all that God has, and we want to see God make a way in our lives, it starts by us recognizing that God is all-knowing, you know, and we're not. That we, our knowledge is not complete. And we humble ourselves before the Lord. And here's the thing. The Bible says that God gives us grace. He gives grace to the humble in James. It says that. See? I want grace. And I don't know how many times when God has corrected me, disciplined me, and I know God loves me because the Bible says God disciplines those he loves. And I get disciplined a lot from God, so I know he loves me. But, but I know so many times God says, Mark, you are an idiot. But what saves you 
is that you have learned to humble yourself. You know that you don't know everything. In fact, you kind of know you don't know anything at all. And he says, you don't know, Mark, how much times that has saved your skin. Right? And I know how much times. Because you know how much of an idiot I can be. Right? God is all-knowing. We're not. Second thing, we've got to recognize that God is omnipotent, that he's all-powerful, and that your strength, my strength, is not enough. This is a hard lesson to learn. But if we want to see God make a way, we want to see God really do and transform our lives and walk in God's way, we've got to recognize that God is the one who's all-powerful and that our own strength is not enough. Verse 18, <clears throat> Joseph's brothers saw him coming. They recognized him in the distance, probably wearing that bright coat, right? Oh, there he is, right? As he approached, their hate got so bad, they made plans to kill him. Wow. Here comes the dreamer. Come on, let's kill him, throw him into one of the cisterns, these wells, and we can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him. And then we'll see what becomes of his dreams, wise guy. Right? That's how angry they were. But Reuben... <coughs> heard of their scheme, one of the brothers, and he came to Joseph's rescue. Verse 21. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die, he'll starve to death with us, without us laying a hand on him. Good job, Reuben. <laughs> right? Reuben was secretly planning, though, what? To rescue Joseph and return him to his father. Ah, redeemed a little bit. Okay. Verse 23. When Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off that beautiful robe he was wearing. They grabbed him, threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming toward them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm, and aromatic resin to Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain if we kill our brother? We've, we'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to these Ishmaelite traders. After all, he's our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his fathers agree. So picture this, right? They throw him into the empty cistern. He's down there, right? They're up there eating. He can hear what's going on, right? Hey, let's not kill him. Let's do this. Hey, you know, let's do this, right? I mean, cold-blooded guys, you know? And um, you see that the hatred of these brothers, and it went beyond, let's just teach them a lesson, Let's, let's do this mean joke on him. No, no, it went way beyond that, right? They're going to kill him. And, and they, they kind of tried to take control and take charge of this situation, but they really weren't in control, right? Their plan changed by the minute, you know? Ah, let's kill him. No, let's starve him to death. No, let's sell him for money. 
and they thought they were in charge, but really and truly, it was omnipotent God who was in control. And even in this horrible scene, we see God's hand. We see God's hand and his intervention and that God was there. Yes, God allowed bad things to happen to Joseph. He didn't make it happen. He didn't cause them to happen. But he allowed, he didn't, you know, he allowed it to happen. He didn't stop it. He didn't reverse it. But what he did was he used this terrible situation to transform Joseph for his good and for God's purpose and glory. And he was going to take this bad situation and he was going to use it for Joseph's good. And young Joseph here is in this really bad situation. And there was nothing he could do, right? He was absolutely powerless. He didn't have the power, he didn't have the strength on his own to get out of this situation. You see, he, God had given him this amazing future through these dreams. And say, man, I got this amazing future for you. But he couldn't make it happen on his own. That he needed omnipotent God to bring these things to pass. And one of the toughest lessons you and I will have to learn is that our strength is never going to be enough. Right? That our strength is never going to be enough. That there are going to be situations that we cannot make things happen on our own. We're going to try. We're going to want to try. But the truth is, until we recognize that it is God who is omnipotent and we're not, um, things, there's always going to be situations, there's always going to be circumstances that are going to be out of our control. Because you think about it. What can you control anyway, right? I mean, what is it that we have under our control? I was talking to this <clears throat> couple um, and, you know, doing premarital counseling little while ago. And uh, the wife said, yeah, I came from a really, really strict house. That my father had, we had four daughters. And if, you know, we would even smile at a guy, we'd get in really bad trouble and all this. And, and you know, the father tried to control that situation, right? But, but this is what she said. Yeah, so at um, 9 o'clock, the father used to lock the door, right? So no one could get out. Like, wow, right? right? He said, I'm going to make sure that none of my beautiful daughters get into any kind of trouble because I know guys. I know what guys think. I used to be a guy before I got married. So I know what they're like. Right? And, and so he locks the door. But you know what she said? She said, yeah, so we used to wait a little bit, and then my sisters would go out the window. Right? Here's the father thinking, I got this situation in hand. I got it under control. He really didn't. He really didn't. But isn't that like us? That, that we think we have things under our control. We think we're omnipotent. We think we're all powerful, but we're not. Uh, British researchers several years ago did a door-to-door study asking people, survey, asking people about their belief in God. And one of their questions was, do you believe in a God who intervenes in human history, 
who changes the course of affairs, who perform miracles. And after interviewing and surveying all these hundreds of people throughout Britain, they titled their study from the response of one man who was really, really typical of a lot of the responses they got. The man had responded, no, I don't believe in that kind of God. I believe in an ordinary God. And so they named the study, the study of an ordinary God. See? And the question is, do you believe in an ordinary God? Or do you believe in a God who is omnipotent? Who is all-powerful? Who is the God you believe in? See? Maybe you feel the stress of trying to be in control of everything, trying to fix everything, because maybe you just, in, in your heart of hearts, you think, I don't know if God is really all that powerful. In fact, I think I can do things probably better than he can. I mean, he got a bunch of people he got to worry about. I'll take care of my own deal. <clears throat> and we got to recognize that it is God who's omnipotent, who's all-powerful, and that we can't do everything on our own strength. Third thing, <clears throat> we got to recognize that God is omnipresent, that he's present everywhere at all times. When you, you know, when you feel like you're all, all alone. That you got to recognize that God is present everywhere at all times when you feel like you're all alone. And there are times we're going to feel like we're all alone, all by ourselves. And in Genesis 37, verse 36, we continue on with the story of Joseph. And it says, Meanwhile, this is later on, again, they sell them to the Ishmaelite traders. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrive in Egypt and they sell Joseph to Potiphar, the officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And this guy that they sell him to, he's the captain of the palace guard. And now Joseph finds himself a sold piece of property, going to an unknown owner, going to an unknown land with an unknown future. One day he's happy and comfortable with his dad, with his wonderful, beautiful coat, the whole thing. And then all of a sudden, he's all by himself, all alone. And when we look at that, we think, man, what possible good can come out of this, right? We may even want to say to God, you know, God, okay, you know, Joseph is learning a hard lesson. But, but this is kind of over the top, wouldn't you say? I mean, I mean, like, God, you know, you're omniscient and omnipotent, but there has to be another way to teach Joseph and mature Joseph and to grow Joseph, right? Isn't that easy to think like that? Like, man, this is rough that Joseph has to go through this. But God is all wise, and he knows that there is a bigger picture. With God, we don't know everything. And there was a bigger picture here that in their hatred, the brothers sell Joseph, who eventually gets sold to an officer of Pharaoh in Egypt. And nobody knew at that time that their home in Canaan would be a place of death with the coming of this severe famine, right? You know, nobody knew. But God was working out Joseph's call 
and his destiny, and, and he was making a way in Joseph's life. That unbelievably, he was making a way in Joseph's life, life and incredibly, even in the lives of his brothers and his family. Joseph was far from home, but he wasn't alone because God is omnipresent and God was with him there. Joseph was not alone, that God was present in his life. And as we go through the story of Joseph, you will see how present God is in his life. Egypt, believe it or not, actually becomes a place of refuge. Exile, if you can believe it, actually became better than being at home for Joseph because it would save him, it would save his family, he would be matured, and even though he was mistreated and victimized, sold by his brothers, God was with him. And God's presence was with him every step along the way. And for the next 13 years, you know, Joseph had no one but God to rely on, to fellowship with, to lean on. And God was with Joseph in Canaan, but Joseph really didn't know him, really didn't acknowledge him or show it. But in Egypt, he treated God no longer as a stranger. That God would become a friend and a companion, and he experienced God's presence. The good news is that like Joseph, you're never going to be alone. No matter what situation you find yourself in, especially in difficult situations, God is there. Because he is omnipresent. That he is present everywhere at all times. And he is with you. He is with you. He's with you right now. If you're going through a tough situation right now, he's there with you right now. And if you would just yield to his wisdom, yield to his power, and just say, God, I need your help. He is there for you. That he is there. See, God is not through with Joseph, no matter what his situation was in. God wasn't through with Joseph, and he's not through with you. No matter how tough things get, he is making a way. God has not forgotten about you. Your situation may look hopeless, confusing, but God is there, and he's all-knowing. And your knowledge is not complete. It's limited. God sees the big picture. He will get you through. He will make a way. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you and encourage you and strengthen you that he's working all things together for your good, even the bad things. And it's going to become loud and clear as we look at the story of Joseph that we can take heart Because God is making a way. This omniscient, all-knowing God, this omnipotent, all-powerful God, and this omnipresent God who is everywhere, all at one time, he's there with you. God is there, and he's making a way. And our response needs to be, will we allow God to do that? So I'm going to spend some time praying. I'm going to call the worship team up. And I want to ask you to stand. <clears throat> and let's pray together, all right? And here's what we're going to do. We're going we're gonna to pray. We're going to sing this last song as an act of worship to the Lord. And then if any of you would need prayer, we're going to continue 
what Dave Oyadamari started last week. You know, he said, he looked in James and said, one of the roles of the elders is to pray for those who are sick. And that if we anoint them with oil, the prayer of faith would make them well. And so last week, you know, we asked after service the people to come up if you would like prayer. And a number of you, you know, humbled yourself. I know it's really hard. Came up, asked for prayer, and we prayed. And, you know, uh, my wife was one of them. My mother-in-law was another person who came up. They came up second service. And my wife has had a foot problem that has been bothering her for, like, months. And so they prayed for her foot. You know, God wants to pray for our feet. Prayed for, you know, the elders prayed for her foot. Pain gone. Ever since, no more pain. You know, the, the, the mother, uh, my mother-in-law had like these rash around her neck. It was really itchy. And I thought, oh, it was eczema, but it really wasn't. It was a mess. And, and the elders prayed for her. And then, you know, this um, Saturday, you know, my mom-in-law, my wife went out. And my mother-in-law goes, hey, look, God healed me. And I said, feel, feel my neck, feel my neck. And she goes, I want to feel your neck. And I said, no, feel my smooth. You see? And, I, and I'm longing for the day because God is the God who is all-powerful. And God wants to heal feet. God wants to heal rashes. But God also wants to heal hearts. He wants to heal, you know, memories that we have. God wants to heal cancer. God wants to heal all kinds of things. And all we got to do is ask. And we're going to trust an omnipotent God that God has the power to do these things. So, you know, if you need prayer, after we sing a song, after we say, all right, some of you can go get food, if you need or want prayer, the elders would love to pray for you. Danny Chan, one of our elders, was just gung-ho, looking forward to praying for you. He'll be right here. He'll be praying for you. Right, Danny? Yeah, he's like, yeah. Yeah? Danny Chan, the man. The prayer man, Danny Chan. God can. Because Dan's the man. Okay. <laughs> I can't say it with Dave because I can't think of rhymes with Dave. <laughs> All right, so let's pray. Father, thank you that you are making a way in our lives, that we're not alone, that you are omnipotent, all-powerful God, and we're not. You're all-knowing God, and we're not. And there are times we feel all alone, but we're not, because you're there. Help us to experience your presence in a more powerful way. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.